Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Well, it makes perfect sense, is all I can say. Now, a man who swears he also has never fought in a duel is Jonathan de Burke Butler, and he joins us now in studio for news from around the world. I've never even held a pistol. Have you not? I have not. Nor have I. No, I'm yeah. proud to say. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You never, never held a pistol, fired a gun. How small a minority of people puts this into, but uh, certainly in America, it would be a very small minority, wouldn't it? Um, so, stories from around the world. You're starting today in. Um, where exactly are it's you? It's a global story, uh, really. It's, oh, it's yes, a United it Nations report. Um, something that I thought was interesting uh, because. The pandemic, okay, is it over? Who knows? We might get another wave in the winter, but let's not, uh, you know, focus on that too much. But the effects of it, I think, are the point, really, and they're still being felt around the world. We've got to remember how lucky we were, I think, in terms of, you know, um, when jobs are lost here and people got paid anyway, and and we were able to keep going. But there was other parts of the world that weren't. And I think um, a cohort that has been very badly affected are young people, um, and particularly employable young people, right? So this report that's been issued by the International Labour Organization, which is a UN agency, uh, has said that this year, 73 million bet- people between the ages of 15 and 24 will be unemployed. Now, that's down from a height of 75 million. So it's down from 2 million from last year. Yeah. But it's 6 million more than were unemployed in that age bracket prior to the pandemic. Seems like a huge figure. It is absolutely unreal, to be honest with you. And and I think what's interesting about it is that this report says that young women are 1.5 times less likely than men to be unemployed. And the report found that just under, just over 27% of women worldwide expected to be unemployed in 2020, compared to just over 40% of young men in that age bracket. Now, I, I don't know about I can't you, get but... Over yeah, those because statistics. I, I, have, I have two boys right now. They're a good bit younger than that particular age bracket. But that kind of statistic always freaks me out particularly about young men because like if 40% of young men in that age bracket this is between 15 to 24 between 15 and 24 which is a very impressionable age like so if you're if you're not working you, you know what I mean? What else are you doing? Right, you know. And, and when we say not working, if you're at college, that counts as, as working, I, does it? I, I think it does. At co- at either in, in edu- full time education. education or, or These are working. people who are available to work. Yeah. But are not. Absolutely. Just, yeah. I, I, I tw- 40% of young men and 27% yeah. of. Young women, they're startling stats. They, they are, but it's it's interesting. I mean, it it goes without saying that most of those uh, people, in most of those seventy three million people, are in the lower middle income countries, right? And 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 the the, the gaps between the genders narrow as you go up the scale, right? So the richer the country, the more people are employed. So, for example, in in the United States, which kind of prides itself on low low unemployment. It's only something like 7.5% youth unemployment there, right? And so that's the lowest figure they've had in that country since February. But if you take somewhere, even a rich country like Spain, now I haven't looked at these stats for a while, but I know certainly, you know, quite recently, somewhere between 25 and 30% uh, of the population between between that age group yeah. were unemployed there, you know? So it's it's very high, even in, 
you know, European countries, EU countries like Spain and right. the like. Uh, and when you say it's the highest it's been, the figures are still, they were high anyway, weren't they? I mean, I know it's yeah. six million higher than it was before COVID, but that still means the figure before COVID was in the high 60s. Yeah, in the high 60s, yeah. So it is, uh, it is quite staggering, all right. Because, I mean, that's when you should be out you know, working or studying or doing something. Yeah, you know, as you as you yeah. um, uh, as you progress in your life, I suppose. So uh, I think it's 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 slightly worrying. Um, the, the, and on top of that, then the COVID pandemic disproportionately impacted on young people as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because they were the ones who were forced to drop out of the labour market. You know, working in restaurants, part time jobs, all those kind of things. And I suppose because of loss of incomes, they were unable to pay fees to study and that kind of thing. And uh, so they were they were affected in so many different ways by it. Right. Uh, other factors also possibly the war in the Ukraine um, as well kick in yeah. uh, with that as well. So for your next story, you went to a country and I had to actually Google it. Right. For the first time in a long time. Yeah. Um, a country I had never heard of. I, I always like when that happens, I have to yeah. say. <laughs> it fills me with pride <laughs> when people don't know the place <laughs> I'm talking about. Um, even after I googled it, yeah, I, I, I didn't learn an awful lot more. Yeah, it's it's a funny place. It's it's called Kiribati. It's uh, it's east of Fiji, right? And when you consider how far away Fiji is from Australia, that tells you how in the middle of nowhere it is. Its population is about one hundred twenty thousand, right? So there's not many people there at all. Like it's it's a unicameral system. It's got forty five MPs and the like. But it's becoming increasingly important, uh, as are many islands in the South Pacific, because of Chinese influence uh, in and around that part of the world, which we might go back to in a minute. Okay. okay? Because I don't want to digress too much because this story is complicated enough as it is, right? It involves a man by the name called of David Lamborn, right? He's a High Court Justice who was born in Australia but has lived for over two decades in this island state, Kiribati, okay? And as I said, he was appointed a High Court Justice. That was back in 2019. And when he became a High Court Justice in 2019, there were no term limits, okay? A couple of months after he was appointed, he went back to Australia to attend a conference in February 2020. And when he tried to get back into Kiribati, the government had rescinded his visa. They had taken it away and they said, no, you're not coming back in. Now, effectively, it seems what they tried to do was, and what they did, in fact, do successfully was they put a new contract in front of him. And so instead of saying no term limits, they wanted the contract backdated and they said to him, you're only staying in place for three years. Right. He was in a bit of a limbo here for about 20 months or so. Right. Between Fiji and Australia, they wouldn't let him back in. So he signed the document. OK. Right. He came back into Kiribati, but he took a case to the Constitutional Court of Kiribati. Imagine. He sounds like a, a bad man to pick a fight with. Yes, I'd say he is, actually, to be honest with you, more ways than one. He's quite a big fellow as well. So he won that particular case. Right. That three year contract was thrown out. But ever since, the government have been trying to get him out of the country and they tried again last week, right? So on Thursday morning, they knocked on his door at 6am, brought him to the airport. In the meantime, he had managed to contact his lawyers. They got a court of appeal hearing put together and that court of appeal decided that what the government was doing was totally illegal and they told them to stop. Now, the government authorities were still going ahead, right? And the pilot on the plane who was a member of the you know, captain of Fiji Airways or something like that, said he wasn't going to accept Lamborn on the plane because he could see that he was in distress and he clearly didn't want to go on the flight. So the government had to take, the government authorities had to take him off the plane. They held him in detention, even though the court had told the government they weren't allowed to do this. 
and he was in a hotel uh, guarded by um, authorities there for the guts of 24 hours before he was finally let go on Friday evening. And he's still in a state of limbo. Nobody knows what's going to happen to him. There was rumours that the government uh, of Kiribati were negotiating with another airline for the Solomon Islands uh, to put him on a flight on Sunday to send him back to Australia. Why is this happening? Why is this yeah, well, happening? Well, this is, this is the whole, I this was is the just, whole problem. I was thinking, is Lambor's it his pension rates? <laughs> rates? Has he got too big a pension pot? Is there some, what is behind all this? Lambourne's wife happens to be Tessie Lambourne, who, as you probably know, is the leader of the opposition in Kiribati. Of course I do. And so there you go. And so that's probably the crux of it. Lambourne himself went on ABC television on Friday while he was in detention. He did an interview. Uh, this is ABC Australian Broadcast yeah. Corporation or whatever and did an interview and said this was politically motivated and it's kind of hard to argue with them. It seems, and this is going back to the whole China piece, it seems that since 2019, China have had a much greater influence on this particular island nation than they had done before, okay. right? Uh, and that they're, is concerning. They're strategically incredibly. Yeah. They're like Hawaii. Um, they're, they're like yeah. that spot that if, exactly. you, if, you, if you have Hawaii, you've control of the seas all yeah, around. Exactly. So they're, they're hugely, yeah, hugely important. important. And, and it's not just Kiribati, but also the Solomon Islands. So yeah. back in 2019, right, Solomon Islands, Kiribati, and a couple of other Pacific nations basically pivoted away from Taiwan. Right, didn't recognise Taiwan anymore and decided that they were going to start their diplomatic relations up again with China. Okay, right, big move, right? And New Zealand, Australia, and various other countries in the region weren't particularly happy about it. So, commentary around this there's a suggestion that they're trying to get rid of Lambourne, A, because he's married to the leader of the opposition, but B, because they're trying to whitewash the judiciary, right? They're all ex New Zealand judges and Australian judges. And it's suggested that the Chinese are the ones who are kind of nudging the president right. of Kiribati in this direction and Kiribati have got kickbacks in return. 120,000 people, most of whom seem to be employed in law. <laughs> I don't think there's that many of them employed in law. I mean, this is one of the poorest countries on earth. And so that's well, probably one of the reasons why they, they have, have to get their judges, judges from Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, this is the reason they have to bring them in from there because they don't have the education. It's an incredibly small number of people, though, isn't it? To have Amazing. that amount of strategic power. Well, yeah, it, it is. And it's, uh, it's so well worth watching. You may yeah. not have heard of that country before, but you're going to be hearing about it again. Yeah, indeed. Kiribati. Put that one in and, and, uh, and pay close attention. Um, Meanwhile, in the Lebanon. Yeah. Have what ever, a story. Have you ever been there? No. Nope. I'm sort of fascinated by this country um, and Beirut. Uh, it has a run. It has had a run of unbelievable bad luck uh, over the last number of years. And for this particular man, in this particular instance, uh, he obviously felt that it was too much. This was a guy who went into a bank in Beirut and held it up for six hours in order to get his own money. Right. According to his brother and his wife, who were outside the bank while the whole saga unfolded. He went in there to get five grand because he needed to pay hospital bills. The brother said that he actually had $210,000 in there and he just wanted to get 5k out, right? But they wouldn't give it to him because there are limits to how much money can be withdrawn. That's the sort of chaos that Lebanon is in at the moment, the economic crisis there. Um, So he held them up and eventually it was negotiated uh, and he walked out of there with $35,000, Along with I can't hostages. believe he didn't walk out of there with a prison term. Um, well, this is the thing. He entered we the bank with yet. a rifle, poured yeah. petrol and demanded his money. I mean, yeah. demanding your money is one thing, but the rifle and the petrol, uh, I wouldn't have thought anyone would take a good view of. 
Um, <laughs> That's the understatement of the year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they haven't taken a good view of it. Uh, uh, but it, funnily enough, because a bit of a crowd had gathered uh, when they were escorted away, people were cheering them on. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, it was absolutely, what a great film. Absolutely. Yeah. And a perfect reference, actually. But people people were, uh, were, were cheering them on there. And it's not surprising. I mean, the country is in absolute tatters. What has happened to, to push the country into such a... God, it's in a perilous state. Right. So, well, it's, first of all, it's, it's, it's a country of about seven million people, right? And then when it's the war... It's quite wealthy. And, yeah, and it, it did okay. Yeah, there was always political hustling and um, tribal warfare and, and I wouldn't say tribal rivalry and religious rivalry and that kind of thing. But they, they got it relatively right for a long time, I think. But there was always high levels of corruption. Um, 2011, Syria happened and then they had to deal with 1.5 million more people. Into a country of 6 million. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So they didn't have the money for that. Then there was a banking collapse in about 2019. The governor of the central bank is being investigated for corruption. Then they had those two terrible explosions in Beirut. And and while you might say to yourself, oh, all right, well, surely they've, they've cleaned that up at this stage. It absolutely destroyed the infrastructure uh, around the whole port there. Uh, and had a huge effect on it. And that that was interesting because it, I think that drew an awful lot of global attention to what was already going on in Lebanon. And, and it mightn't have had as much had those explosions not happened. I'm sure they'd prefer if they hadn't. Um, but it's in a desperate state. Like, and Ukraine-Russia situation isn't helping it either. I saw a statistic earlier on which said that 25% of all the calories consumed by people in Lebanon come from Ukraine or Russia. God. Does that make sense? Now, I know it's not the only country in the region that's yeah. been affected by that. Egypt's very badly affected as well. Uh, but on top of everything that's gone before, Lebanon is having a really, really bad run of it at the God, moment. God, and that, that story really is just highlighting that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, you are taking us next to Brazil. What a story. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a horrible story uh, and a horrible daughter. Uh, there's no other way of saying it, really, is Dreadful. it? Yeah, 48-year-old Sabine Bogishi, uh, who's the daughter of Genevieve and Jeanne Bogishi. Now, Jeanne Bogishi was a well-known art collector who originally moved to Brazil in the 19, late 1940s from Romania, right? And it's a rags-to-riches story. Anyway, he became a very wealthy art dealer and obviously when he died a good few years ago, but he left his art behind in his, in his wife's name. In about 2020, Genevieve Bogishi, who's the 82-year-old mother, was approached by a man who claimed to be a psychic and he told her that he had seen visions of his daughter dying and that he needed money for her in order to save her life, okay? So he began to rope in all these other psychics and gradually convinced her to hand over money, right? It's a a really weird story, but this is apparently what happened. Sabine Bagishi, the daughter had been involved all along and she had been feeding them information that, so that they could right. convince the mother that everything they were saying was all true. Right. Do you know what I mean? At the Little end of Little kind it, of pertinent facts that America thinks yeah, these basically. people know what they're talking yeah, about. Absolutely, right? yeah. So she'd believed them effectively. Um, so uh, in the end, Sabine sort of moved in with the mother uh, and forced her to stay at home while they lifted all of these priceless works of art out of the house. In total, I think they took 16 out 
worth something like 140, 140 million dollars. Yeah. So it was quite a significant, uh, quite a significant haul. So eventually the mother got suspicious. She went, she went to the police and uh, the police performed a raid last week, I think it was, and, and recovered some of the paintings. Two of them ended up in Argentina already in a museum down there. Um, so they're in a museum already. They're in a museum down in Argentina. They haven't been recovered yet. Um, and then 11 of the pictures were in one of the psychic's houses and then three ended up in Sao Paulo. So right. hopefully will, all of them will, will be will, recovered. Will they be facing charges? I presume they are. Oh, I think they're in big trouble, yeah. Embezzlement, robbery, extortion, well, false it's, imprisonment, it's like, it's like all sorts of things. It's like something from the novel. Yeah, it is. A horrible really story, is. isn't it? Yeah, expect to see that on Netflix. Um, and then I, we heard about this this uh, story from India. I heard mention of it, but uh, 22 years in court for 25 cent. Yeah, 20, 22 years in court for 25 cents. This was uh, Tungnath Chaturvedi, a 66-year-old lawyer, which is good because at least he didn't have to pay legal fees for this. Uh, he bought a train ticket uh, back in 1999 uh, to take a short trip. Uh, it could have, should have cost him 70 rupees. It ended up costing him 90. He made a complaint there and then. He didn't get his 20 rupees back, which, as he said, is the equivalent of about 25 cents. And he took them to court. Uh, he took the East Railways... Uh, service division of Indian Railways to court and after a hundred hearings uh, the court ruled in his favour last week. There's so many questions here. Why would you bother? Um, why would the rail people not just pay it? True. Um, why would someone not just stand up and say this is just vexatious? Like, why would a judge not say look here I, I have an idea I'll give you the 20 cents <laughs> and everyone just go away? I think all of those things actually happened. Uh, the family of the man of the complainant shall we call him that uh tried to persuade him not to do it. Don't know why the company didn't hand over the money. That would have actually saved them quite a bit. Not not that the punishment was too bad. Like, I mean, they've only been fined 188 euros, I think, in the end. Courts did try and kick it out, but he kept coming back for more. He went up to the uh, the local Supreme Court or High Court, I think, at one stage. Uh, so he wasn't going to give up. And he said that it's not the money that matters. This was always about a fight for justice and a fight against corruption. So it was but worth it. But not a fight for, for trivial justice and against trivial corruption. Is there such a thing as trivial corruption, though? I 20 wonder. cent? <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you, might be, you might be right on yes, this one. Yes, indeed, right. Um, coming up, um, Brussels, what's going on? Yeah, Brussels, there's been trouble lately between Serbia, Serbia and uh, Kosovo. So the presidents of those countries are going to be meeting on Thursday, uh, probably with some sort of EU mediator to try and... Um, soften things out or smooth things over shall we say right. and um, so that could be interesting because there was a potential massive flare up there um, last couple of weeks and then Wednesday week I know it's a bit early but something that people might uh, want to latch on to is the 31st anniversary of Ukrainian independence and the 33rd anniversary of Polish independence as well so I'm sure they have those dates are celebrations marked, marked. Um, yeah, yeah. seen as bright days in the Ukraine not seen as bright days uh, on the other side of the border of course yeah. uh, with Russia yeah yeah. Uh, great stuff John thank you very much indeed for that Thanks, um, sadly I don't have time to ask you if you have any deep secrets you'd like to share on air uh, no not really nothing at the top no, 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 no. talk to you man in a minute about how apparently we all keep the 13 secrets on the go at any one time yeah that's amazing <laughs> apparently we'd be better off if we shared them so well let's go to a break and I'll uh, tell yeah, you all yeah, alright great <laughs> on that note here comes a break Moncrief brought to you by Avant Money think you're getting the best value from your bank think again weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.